Thanksgiving crew in the building. <sighs> did you go to a Friendsgiving? I did. I did. I walked right in and I walked right out. <laughs> That's right. There, there, were, there were people there that were not friends. Um, there were enemies there. Is that a thing that people... We should have enemies giving. <laughs> They'll just show up and it's like the player haters ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a bunch of people you don't want to be hanging out with. You look at corn pudding I spin in it, you rotten son of a bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, you surround... I mean, friends are kind of enemies in a way. It's like... I mean, it is kind of the, the Seinfeld bit where it's like the people you choose to surround yourself with are the people that cause you the most anguish. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, because it's, yes, you're right. You have a choice in the matter. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, the thing about friendship is that you can't hold your friends to standards of perfection. Because if you did that, you'd never have any friends. That's true. So you have to overlook a lot of flaws. You just be the most unlikable person on the planet. It's like I don't like that person because I know people like petty that. reason. I know people like that who will just cut off over the most minor offenses. Yeah, I was talking to a friend yesterday about this, and I was like, um, I was just talking about like how like me and like like some of the, not all. I mean, I got, still got a lot of friends from college that I keep in touch with, but like there's some that like. I just don't know what we would talk about. Like, we don't have anything in common. And then they were just like, oh, no, I just cut those people out. <laughs> I'm like, how? <laughs> so I just refuse to talk to them. I don't want to be around people that I'm like, like, you're not even cordial? Yeah. You know? No, I mean, I know people who will go through life and, like, just redo their whole friend circle every few years, you know? Yeah. I mean, is that a, is there a word for those people? Are they like borderline personality or something, or like narcissistic? Or there are people. I'll tell you this. Here's the hallmark of a good friend. The hallmark of a good friend is one that doesn't put demands on their friends. I agree with that. It's someone who doesn't guilt. It's like you've always said. If anybody's guilting you, not your friend. They're not your friend. Not, now, I mean, there's a little gamesmanship that comes with friendship, and that's different from guilt tripping. Like if you perpetually feel obligated because of somebody's manipulation tactics, that person is by definition not your friend. A bad person. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, friendship should feel effortless. It should feel on your own terms. It should feel. <laughs> um, should feel mostly effortless. The people that are that are all the time talking about like people not putting anything into their friendships and want me to commiserate about them, uh, I'm just I just can't get there. Well, th- this here's something that I've never voiced publicly, and I might as well say it. I kind of think sometimes that the whole recent trend of sort of browbeating people into go seeing a therapist is kind of like. What they really mean is like you just need to talk to somebody, and I, I don't know. It's I, I think a lot of us are so alienated and sort of isolated now that we need therapists to like talk to. When in reality, like fifty years ago, that person would just kind of that would be your friend or, yeah. or something. Yeah. Basically, what I'm saying is that a therapist is like a paid friend. <laughs> totally, it's like joining a fraternity. No, and I'm not saying don't go to therapy. Therapy is good. I'm yeah. just saying that like. Also have friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I'm a mental... I mean, I have... You know, I suffer from a lot of mental illnesses, so I'm not, like, debasing or um, trying to make light or minimizing somebody's neuroses or mental illness or whatever. I am. That's all I do. 
But I I do think that there is a certain amount of medicalization of sadness. Yeah. And stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's possible. Well, there's yeah. a medicalization of isolation, social isolation. Yeah. And alienation. It's I mean, it moves the diagnosis from one of like the your the problem is the system, the system is alienating you to one of like well, you know, you're, you're just sad um, because your job's not working out or your career's not working out. Yeah. It, it medicalizes something that actually has a systemic origin rather than, I don't know, a biological one or something like that. Right, totally. But th- at the same time, I dated somebody one time who was like, would, t- would tell me that depression wasn't, basically that it, it, was a, it was a word for something we didn't understand yet. You know what I mean? And that, like, taking medication for it was... Uh, that's a bad person. <laughs> and that's a bad person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that, like, uh, there could be things that there's no sort of chemical root for that you could, you know, probably address without medical, you know, without going to medicine first. I mean, certainly if, like, you've exhausted every avenue and, you know, you're still in the blue, then I think that's... Right. Yeah, you should see a therapist. You should, you know, take medicine. You should do all that stuff. But I think, so I I have experienced both. I've experienced um, sadness and sort of being lonely, which I think over time, when you experience that chronically, it manifests as mental illness. I think it can. Right. Uh, I I think that's what what tends to happen for a lot of people. Yeah. but then I've also experienced like something's just wrong here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That kind of mental illness, in which I still struggle with today. Oh yeah, I mean, you, what you're saying is a chemical imbalance. Yeah, yeah, something that can be corrected by yes. you know, <laughs> therapy and medicine, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've had many days, probably one just in the last week, where I feel like I'm completely out of my mind. Yeah, just disassociating from reality. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> That's not good. That's not. That's not normal. That's not something that you could just yes uh, talk to somebody scratch about. your ass and get glad about. You know, uh, friendsgiving. What about therapists giving? What if you go to a friendsgiving and it's only therapists? That sounds. Mis- who is? Uh, this is a question. Who is a therapist? Therapist. It's like who's a barber's barber? Who's a doctor's <laughs> doctor? Do you just like well test yourself? <laughs> Do you just cut your own hair? Do you just? Therapists have therapists, or at least in the Sopranos, they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Could you imagine if your family was a family of therapists, how insufferable Thanksgiving would be? Or if you were a therapist and your whole clientele was just therapists, <laughs> <laughs> like you're the therapist, therapist. That would that would be awful. Yeah, that would be that would be, I, and I'm sure there are families like that that like you know like how there's like families of lawyers or families of doctors or whatever. Right. That would be a very. Mm. I, I mean, if you still had problems, that would be weird. But right. Friendsgiving. Uh, do you go to any friendsgivings? I've not done friendsgiving in a number of years. Why not? Mostly because I don't have friends, but. <laughs> The other side to that is I hate giving. <laughs> you hate having no. To I bring like fish. I like the Thanksgiving holiday. I do. I I think it's you know obviously rooted in genocide and whatever. But I think uh, any opportunity where you get to suspend the norms of society and you know like 
that's not true for everybody, but I mean, for a lot of workers, this is like, you know, one of their handful of days off. Well, uh, you know, yeah, for a lot of workers, except for the transit workers, um, yeah. who, I mean, I was just seeing in, in the Baffler, uh, I think Kim Kelly had written something about like the power that transit workers have. Like if they threaten to go on strike before Thanksgiving, it would grind the entire fucking system to a halt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like airport workers and pilots and that is true stewardesses what's so funny is is that industry has also been flying close to the sun for a number of years now like pilots don't make shit yeah like they used to pull down like major league baseball player salaries right and now that's just like y'all are really flirting with disaster in that industry now they get blamed for when a software bug takes down a entire fucking airplane yeah (laughs) we were talking about that last night (laughs) It's just an industry. What were you saying about the guy's uncle? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I can read that to you. All right. So imagine you go to a Friendsgiving, right? You're at the cookout um, on Friendsgiving, and, uh, you know, you run into your uncle. You've just been, you've spent the the, the entire past year working on the seven, Boeing 737 MAX, all right. seeing all kinds of problems with it. <clears throat> um. It's well, so just so just for a little, um, uh, well, so the Boeing 737 Max is sort of the uh, the materialization of the old phrase, um, uh, 20 pounds of shit in a 10 pound bag, <laughs> right? I'd say it's it, like it's got these huge engines they yeah. put in there to save on fuel costs, yes, that also were too heavy for the lightweight frame of the plane. <laughs> they made they put massive engines because on a on airplanes, the larger the engine, the greater the fuel efficiency. Right. There's like a law. I don't even know what the fucking law is called. It's some law of ther- physics. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about like an actual literal like FAA like <laughs> no. regulation. It's a law of physics. It says the bigger the engine, the greater the fuel efficiency. Yeah. The bigger the cap, the bigger the pill. <laughs> exactly. Right. So they put these massive engines on a smaller uh, airplane frame. A lighter one. But what that did was it would cause the plane to go into an aerodynamic stall. So what that is is, you know, it's when the front of the plane tips up. And you can practice this if you're driving in your car and you put your hand out of the window. And you put your hand up like this and, you know, you'll feel it go back. You'll feel you your can own. also practice this if you're getting ready to have sex and she tells you to put a condom on. <laughs> <laughs> That's and an you have to walk your ass across. The, and by the time you get back, it's your stall out. <laughs> <laughs> That's also an aerodynamic stall. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no software fix for that one. There's uh, a, a chemical one though. Um, so there is an aerodynamic. So that this would create an aerodynamic stall. And so to fix this problem, Boeing came up with a software fix to fix a hardware problem. They came up with a software fix. Because that's the age we live in, right? Right. Um, and so they contracted out like a bunch of Bangladeshi coders making $7 an hour to make this program called MCAS. And um, I think it was like maneuvering com- computer aviation system or something like that. I can't remember what MCAS stands for. But we'll just say it's something like that. And what MCAS does is it just, as soon as the plane starts to go into a stall, it just tips the nose down. That's it. It's very simple. It just takes the nose down. The problem with that is that once it once the software starts doing that, planes nowadays 
are run almost entirely by computers. Like, none of the controls you see on an airplane cockpit actually control the So wings. the pilots are just sort of window dressing. Yes, pretty much. They're there to just sort of monitor the computers. But computers get the final say in an airplane. Like, they basically, uh, you know, a human can intervene and sort of change course and make recommendations and everything. But computers... Just make you feel confident. You're going to get on a plane in about an hour. <laughs> Look, I like taking my life into my own hands. <laughs> I've always said that if, if I was going to go, I mean, I think a plane would be pretty fun. <laughs> It'd be terrifying, but... It'd be a fun sociological experiment. Your last way out, you just see 100 people melting down. It'd be a great opportunity for polling, too. You could, like, <laughs> see who actually the world's most predominant religions are. You're right, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, who's praying to who on the way down? You could learn know? all kinds of things about humanity yeah. in a plane that's going down. Hey, just uh, just by a show of hands here, uh, assuming we make it out of this, who's who's a budget voter here? <laughs> <laughs> and then if you survive, you can go, listen, CNN, I've, I've ran the numbers I've ran here the in numbers. the most dire consequences. <laughs> and let me tell you something, they ain't shouting for Mayor Pete in the uh, end. Yeah, all political polling should be done on planes that are going down. <laughs> But don't tell the people. No. You know what I mean? Don't <laughs> right, tell the people. Right, right. So, um... <laughs> it's like, listen, try to remain calm here and tell me if there was a, a presidential nominee that you would like to have at the wheel right now <laughs> to stop this <laughs> this fucking piece of metal from careening thousands of feet to your demise, who would it be? Right. <laughs> um, I would say Amy Klobuchar... She's the only one that would have stiff enough of an upper lip to like, <laughs> like you know, Let's keep the her wits about manual. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just like totally stone faced. Oh, yeah. Um. Okay. So. Uh, sorry. Sorry. So the. Uh, okay. So computers, um, pilots. Um, so MCAS. MCAS is a basically like a demon um, in the plane. <laughs> Because it can, it gets final say over what happens. So when once NCAS kicks in, they were finding this, and, and a few text messages just came out between um, simulation pilots, and the text messages are fucking hilarious. Um, these guys are just bantering, like, "Oh, I ran the sim again, and MCAS was having problems with it." And they would find that in in simulation, MCAS would cause the plane to go straight down, straight into the earth, and um, but the FAA signed off on it. Everything went fine. And the reason why is because the FAA allows Boeing, is something they call regulatory capture. The FAA allows Boeing to basically self-certify their own planes. And a lot of the people that work at the FAA worked at Boeing. There's a lot of like back and forth. Let me, let me again interject one of my favorite uh, sayings in the Appalachian MTR movement. So they're letting the inmates run the asylum. <laughs> The fox is guarding the fox hen house. Fox is guarding the hen house, huh? <laughs> yes. It is a classic example of letting the inmates run the <laughs> asylum. <clears throat> um, and so, uh, all right. So what happened was there was two planes that went down, one in October of last year and one in the spring of this year. One was in, I believe, Indonesia, and the other one was in Ethiopia. Um. Everybody on board was killed, both of these planes. And what happened both times... Like last night when we were talking about this, Alex said, oh, that's the one where everybody made it. And you go, no, everybody was killed both times. <laughs> <laughs> Upwards, I think, of four or five And then I think he went... <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I laugh is because how macabre 
It is. It actually is. Comically, cosmically, just goofy. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> that we just make products to self-destruct now. Yeah. Because that's what MCAS is. MCAS is a self-sabotaging device in a plane. Right. And so what happens is the plane will start going down, and the pilots, no matter how hard they pull back on the, the throttle, the joystick, whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> <laughs> the joystick. <laughs> they can't get the plane to go back up. And so that both times this happened, the planes just went straight down into the earth and just crashed. Boeing knew about it the whole time. They knew that was likelihood or a possibility. Yeah. It, yes. Um, Interesting they chose a country like Ethiopia, which is like sort of in the Western world shorthand for disposable people. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I know people make Ethiopia jokes still. Like, well, they... And fucking... Hard, like Appalachia, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no exemplar of like <laughs> fucking just a perfectly ran society. They've, you know, they Boeing basically blamed the pilots and everything um, after this. They they went on a huge camp. I mean, you can watch the congressional testimonies because Congress had committee hearings about this. Like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. And the Boeing executives were like, it's the pilots' fault. It's the, you know, they didn't receive their training. Boo-boo. We made a big boo boo. We made a big boo boo. Um, but there's a really great article about it in the New Republic by Marine Tukasik, and it's like, I was just reading it, and um, there's this part in it, this is the darkest thing I've ever read, um, there's this guy who used to work for Boeing for the longest time, and he was an engineer, and he was, like, talking about the frustrations he had with the development of the 737 MAX, and, um... And he he said he was give, telling this story about how he like went to uh, a cookout or friendsgiving. Um, <laughs> to a friendsgiving, <laughs> a friendsgiving that happened to be attended by his nephew. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So his uncle was there, and his uncle is like a, a accountant professor at the University of Michigan. And he was said he was like talking to his uncle about all the problems that they were experiencing and all this. So this is before any of these planes went down. <laughs> um. And uh, his uncle turned at him, and and, pl- and I just want to point out here that Boeing is the quintessential example of financialization because it is, like, in the 1990s and early 2000s, it went through this um, process where um, they, you know, they would buy back their own stocks to increase stock prices and we're relying less and less on the expertise of engineers and more and more on like these sort of innovative ideas. Right. Um, and so this this accountant professor looks at his nephew, just stone faced, just completely, just you know, just looks at right. him just seriously. He says, and just tells him flat out. He says, "You are in a mature industry that is no longer innovative. It's a commodity business." <laughs> The last great innovation capable of driving major growth in aviation was the jet engine back in the 1950s. And every technological advance since has been incremental. And so the emphasis of the business is going to switch away from engineering and towards supply chain management. Because every mature company has to isolate which parts of its business add value and delegate the more commodity-like things to the supply chain. The more you look to the market for pricing signals, the more the role of the engineer will shrink. (laughs) I just thought that was amazing. Well, there's another sort of tangentially related thing uh, to tack on to what um, uh, Uncle Wonk here's <laughs> got to say. Is do you, do you remember the documentary, 2007 documentary, The Zoo? No. It's about a 
a Boeing engineer named Ken Pinion that died from peritonitis after getting fucked in the ass by a horse. <laughs> okay, I do remember this. You know, yeah. The new, it was, uh, you know, probably more colloquially known as the Newman Claw horse Newman sex Claw, scandal. Yes, right. The Newman Claw. Right. I do know the yeah. zoo now. So I'm just, you know, I just want to point that out. What we're <laughs> taught, what caliber of person <laughs> <laughs> Boeing has had a history of hiring to. Uh, he was a Boeing exec. Uh, he was a he was an engineer. I think he might have ended up being an exec or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, Amazing that Boeing has uh, survived not only now this scandal, but also the Newman Claw horse sex scandal. <laughs> it would been, have been damning for any other company. Right. Well, there's that. And then there's the, there's the 787 Dreamliner, which one of the executives at Boeing said publicly, the pieces of the plane were supposed to snap together like Legos. Like, it, they had tried to... You know, you know, they're, it's like it's like I was saying earlier. They are trying to like, um, after having all these problems with aviation uh, construction in the '90s, they were like, we're no longer going to be offshoring all these jobs. We're going to take them to like right to work states in the south, and like build the batteries. Like, you know, these the thing with the 787 Dreamliner is that the lithium battery in it is highly flammable. There was a lithium battery factory in Arizona that completely burned down while they were trying to make. The battery for this it's in plane. development, in development, right? Um, so, like the whole thing is a disaster. The, right. the, the seven, the Dreamliner is a is also grounded too, like the seven thirty seven yeah. Max. Um, but both of them are just examples of what he's saying here, like attempts to innovate something that does not need to be innovated. Right. And so, like, yes, there's no longer any way to innovate an airplane. Well, that is the thing about capital is, it, and it's something we've talked about when. Every time we say the word Uberization, is is capital creates problems that actually do not exist. Right, right. What it tries to do is convenience to see how they can make more money off conveniencing something that already exists. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like why cab drivers are, you know, doing horrible right now. It's why, you know, they take minor inconveniences and then convince us that like actually this could shave five minutes off your like you know what i mean and it's right. like yeah like fuck it I've, i use lyft you know when i go to a city or whatever occasionally right. or whatever but like that's really only because i don't really understand the ritual of going in hell in a cab on the side you know what i mean yeah well i feel like <laughs> i didn't i wasn't raised in a place with cabs i don't you know how to walk out on your street and stand there for three hours with yeah, your arm in yeah, there, arm in there. <laughs> it's like what are you doing yeah um well, I mean, I just, dude, I thought that was such a fucking funny quote. <laughs> listen, listen, man. There's no longer any innovation left. The role of the engineer, you're fucked, man. Like, There's, there is nothing to be done in certain No, man, it's all about supply that. chain management now. It's yeah. all about maximizing profits for the shareholders. And that only ends in death and <laughs> injury. Like, it's gotten to the point where it's so absurd that we build flying death machines. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's crazy. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, it's interesting about this. It's like this sort of idea of um, of just trying to engineer innovation in a way that like we're just trying to improve on what cannot be improved upon. It's uh, on the other end of that. Like we also have like planned failures, and like <laughs> like you cannot convince me honestly. Like those people in Ethiopia. 
they they gave this thing a dry run in a place where it's just like oh <laughs> right. this this will get lost in the rest of the shuffle with the problems of right. Africa or whatever right like that's the thing they did blame it on that they did they blamed it on poor training for Indonesian and African pilots of course they did there's a reason they didn't fucking launch this at JFK or <laughs> O'Hara you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. uh my, I had a friend that went to prison in Clay County a couple of years ago in a check check kiting uh, fraud scheme. He was uh, taking advantage of the float at banks to basically take out a bunch of money that he didn't have in his bank account or uh-huh. whatever. To hear him tell, there's also tie-ins with Russian mob and all this <laughs> stuff. Just, uh, take out a grain of salt. But he told me something interesting because in Clay County, he said it was... Because the, the reason he went to Clay County is Clay County is mostly like white-collar criminals, yeah. like that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's basically tennis jail and he was working for the irs at the time he did this and so he kind of got lumped in with all of them even though that didn't really have much to do he just happened to that his day job happened to be with the irs right doing all this shit so he did two years there and he said that uh he was there with these guys that worked have you ever seen like the sokolov law office commercials i think so james j sokolov and stuff he said basically and I don't know if this is real, if this is like some sort of crazy conspiracy, but if anybody knows about this, like, feel free to shoot us some, some information. But he's, to hear him tell it, he says that, um, that, like, there's people in Congress that basically, um, or I don't know if they work with the FDA or there's some, there's some sort of way that they ram drugs through FDA approval. Uh-huh. Uh, knowing full well that there's going to be a lot of people die from, <laughs> from this. And that these law firms like Sokolov, you usually see them like in, on like, late night TV, like have you had a transdermal mesh? Have yes. you had like yeah. mesothelia, like asbestos, all, all right. that kind of there's stuff? There's an industry where they take advantage Those of kind of stuff. Right, yeah. right, right. And so these law offices know about these huge pots of money that are set aside, pre-set aside for like malpractice and like medical, like liability stuff right and they take those cases to get that and he said he was in prison with a lot of them with a lot of those guys that had got in trouble for various schemes around that right and uh it's kind of fucked up that it's like in some ways in a under a capitalist society i guess the idea that our destiny is preordained is somewhat true (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean you're right under communism i think in a weird way it's so strange because like that was always the knock on communism growing up our sort of ivan drago understanding of it you know like soviet era understanding your life is planned for you planned for you you don't have any sort of agency will or agency you're going to be uh if you're going to be a gymnast you're going to train your whole life to be a gymnast and that's it and you have no say in the matter whatever whatever but in reality, like, even if that sort of cartoonish understanding of, like, communism were true, it's like, how's capital any different? Right. You know what I mean? Well, on a long enough timeline, this is the thing that kills me about libertarians that we were talking about last night. Like, libertarians who are like, I don't care what you do as long as it doesn't affect me or whatever. It's like, on a long enough timeline, the contradictions of capitalism will affect you as well. One of these days, you're going to be on an airplane. It doesn't fucking matter your class status unless you can afford a private plane or something. Right. But even if you are wa- making into the top 5% and you're on an airplane, one of these days you might be on one of these death machines. 
Yeah. Or one of these days you might get polluted by some sort of, uh, you know, C8 and chemical spill. In fact, spill. you already are. <laughs> right. that, is, that is wild that right. every man, woman, child, gender, non-conforming person that exists today has a DuPont concocted chemical <laughs> in their tissues right now. Yep. Because, look, there's no way to live in this society without it affecting you in some way. Because we let corporations do whatever the fuck they want. It is. I mean, <laughs> there is, like, that sort of Calvinism is true under <laughs> under capital. You're right. You know what I mean? Under socialism, it, it, what we would, what we think of as a more, like, sort of strict, we're tethered to our destiny thing is actually... No. Not true. You're yeah. actually free to do whatever. You have autonomy over <laughs> yeah. your life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Things are planned because that's the fucking smart thing, rational thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the things that you need are, yeah, that's right. Dude, I mean, I don't know. I just, I just can't fucking, I was laughing my ass off for that quote. Listen, man, you, there's, you no longer are in an innovative break industry. <laughs> I was going to break it to you. Yeah. It's all about supply chain. Jump shit. <laughs> Children, I employ you. Tear out your mercury feelings. It, it's just so dark. I mean, it's so macabre. Yeah. It's just so incredible. Speaking of macabre, and speaking of, yeah, you were saying the MCAS thing was like a demon. No. Uh-huh. There's another demon that did an interview. <laughs> Recently, <laughs> promising a day of reckoning. Right, right, right. I mean, w- do we figure out what's wrong with Papa John's voice? Why is he? It's so weird. Go listen to that interview. And yeah. then, no, go listen to Better Ingredients, Better Pizza, Papa John's. I don't know if they speed his voice up a little bit. It kind of sounds like they. Yeah, they might. They might speed his voice up for the commercials or something. But yeah. my man. Looked really, he looked like Ray Liotta in like that scene in The Goodfellas when, where like know, the doctor insists that he right. gets some care, right? <laughs> like, right, exactly. And he's like seeing helicopters, yeah. he's like, I need my hat, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I don't fly without my hat. He, uh, yeah, he looks like she he looks like a man that's uh, eating a few too many TV dinners. I mean, well, he in fact, that's what he said. He said, I've been, <laughs> I've eaten more than 40 pies in 30 days. Why would you even say that? Well, what he was saying was that he thinks that current management of Papa John's has resulted in a decline in the pizza quality. I want to just go ahead and tell you something, Papa. Other, after you get past the novelty of the garlic butter, and that's how you always know like a shitty pizza company is like when they include the garlic butter. Right, because they have to... To mask It's just like this doughy, <laughs> cheesy like blob. Right, you know right. I mean? Pop John's really not that great. I want to know the process of like how he just like release a press release or something or like reach out to a local news affiliate. Like, look, a day of reckoning. What is it? I mean, he's like, here, I got a concept. I'm going to get out of the sauna. I'm going to dress it and put my shirt back on. <laughs> Jeff Baseball. Shirt. I'm going to talk in a really ominous fucking voice <laughs> and promise a day of reckoning for those that had screwed me over. Um. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's pretty. The pretty whole bizarre. scandal stemmed from him using the slur on like some sort of call about diversity training they were having. Yeah, he used the N word. Yeah, I think Sch- Schneider does remind me of one of those guys that just tries to say that word in like an innocuous way just because he wants to like you, you know those type that just like will drop it, but like in the context of something that like absolves them from like right like. Any racist connotation? 
or people who would like uh, relish like reading it in a book, or like you know, or like the people that like like you're like like somebody's doing a reading of like Mark Twain, and you're like. I wonder if he's going to say it. Yeah. I wonder if he's going to say it. Like, and then they do. And you're then like, you're just like, oh, God. It's just never. I'm like, you're really enjoying that a little too much. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. I like just, yeah. I don't know. Um, Yeah, Papa John. Uh, well, I guess we'll see. That whole thing is so they If you think about, like, the whole structure of what happened at the University of Louisville and the athletics program Papa John over the past couple <laughs> It's just a complete shit show. You got Rick Patino, who's also like one of these fucking like, like, who's a lot like Papa John, just like the sweaty fucking disgusting human. Right. It's like, uh, you know, it was basically, you know, there was the Porcini's in- incident where he had like testified that he like got off in three seconds with his mistress at Porcini's and like came down his leg. <laughs> it's just like, man, like, look, I get you're doing deposition, but. You know, I'd probably spare some of those gore details. <laughs> didn't or, Patino, didn't he also do a thing like that? Didn't he also have something where he was like, a day of reckoning will come? I could have sworn that. Yeah, he did it with Matt Bevan. When yeah. Bevan got elected, he was like, he did some sort of like funny meme, like Slay Queen meme with Bevan losing the election or something. Oh, okay. Well, I just think like I always. But yeah, he he did do some kind of batshit interview. I thought that he did, or that he was writing a book or something like. Like these guys, whenever they get fired or something happens, they always come back into the news briefly, and they'll be like, "the the real story is going to come out soon." A day of reckoning. And it's is like coming. you've already got caught in all the shit, and you've got caught lying about the shit like twelve times already, man. It's like there's no day of reckoning coming. <laughs> it's like move on. You're rich. Go do something with that. Go fucking buy a boat or yeah. I don't know. I guess this. I guess it just shows that like pizza really was all that Papa John had. He um. They still hold on to it, apparently forty and thirty days, but that's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be so constipated if you ate forty pizzas in thirty days. He just so not. Listen, I've eaten more than forty pizzas in thirty days, and none of them been up to snuff. <laughs> like, I wouldn't fucking tell that man. You'd feel like shit. Um. Anyway. Well, let's see. What else we got on the old list? The 737 mags. Oh, the reason we were talking about that is because last night the FAA announced that they would be taking back control of the certification program of Boeing. Yeah. It's just like a little fucking late for oh, that. Oh, that inspires a lot of confidence. <laughs> right? You know, you know, like, there's, like, international, like, sort of, like, aeronautic, like, agreements between countries and, like, there's only like two countries that haven't signed on to the general agreement, and I think one is Sudan, and then the other is, or I'm like not South Sudan, like Sudan, like the the other Sudan, Omar Bashar, the, the OG Sudan, yeah, cartoon. <laughs> uh, and what's the other one? I can't remember now, but it's like, uh, what is it? Like, there's like they have to sign on to. <clears throat> I I don't know if there's some like some sort of like like generalized standards that every like sort of international airport has to meet in like terms of like uh-huh. their like their planes and like their facilities or whatever. I I'm not right. sure, but well, um if you're listening to this, it's so funny. It makes so much sense now to put out an episode about flying on like the busiest holiday traveling yeah. time of the year. 
So if you have a, a an insane fear of flying and you're listening to this and we're just giving you anxiety, turn us off and maybe come back <laughs> Sunday and listen to <laughs> No, I was just going to say redirect that into several things. Go one, go buy some box cutters. <laughs> Go talk to your accountant uncle. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, you know, it's just, I, I have always maintained that if the airline industry was actually run by the workers, it would be such a more pleasant experience. Because right, it, oh, it's awful. It sucks so fucking bad. Oh, yeah, Every so bad. aspect of it it's is so awful. bad. Yeah, um, it's really bad. It's, but more than that, I mean, if we didn't even have an airline industry, just high-speed rail would be so much better... I was reading. I was reading this book about um, the sort of uh, Japanese dandies from the '60s when the Olympics were going to go there, and like Japanese had like like their monorail in like the '60s. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's yeah. just so fucking. We haven't really truly invested in infrastructure in this country in like forty fucking years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Longer than that, really. Um, I'd probably just to like save Detroit and shit. Yeah. Well, I do have um, another, an article to read if you want. I mean, um, see if I can find it real quick. It was in Bloomberg. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, so, Bloomberg, um, which, by the way, we haven't talked at all about Bloomberg entering the presidential race, um, which is, I mean, so, okay, last week he spent, what was it, $33 million on a... On a series of ads. Here's what I want to say about that real quick. Is, as a general rule, if the thing that you've been bagging on the guy that currently holds the office for, like, it's one of, like, right, that's one of your bargaining <laughs> chips is running as a Democrat is, like, no more billionaires buying elections, right. no more. like, And it's not just Bernie saying that. You know what I mean? Like, they all yeah. pay lip service to that, even if like, they're all taking money from billionaires. <laughs> yes, from campaigns, yeah, yeah. All the campaigns are saying, like, we're not taking corporate money. I, I think even, like, Kamala Harris and shit is saying that. Yeah. It's just, like, I just, I, I don't understand the rationale of, like, Bloomberg's, it seems like Bloomberg's whole angle is, like, I'm going to... Um, Fight fire with fire. I'm gonna be the good billionaire. He's gonna be the best. I'm gonna be, uh, you know, like what's the uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer? There's like Heat Miser and like the Ice <laughs> Guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which He's, one's the good one? I forget. Anyway, Trump would be Heat Miser. He just he, just because he looks like he kind of looks like it. he's got the hair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just I don't understand the rationale of like. I'm going to get in here. I, I own my own media company. I'm going to get in this race and, like, buy up all this media and, like, fight fire with fire. Get out of it. There is no rationale behind it. Yeah. It's, it's just they're all, these guys are all just, like, bored, old, and rich. And, like, yeah. what, what else I got better to do? I'll just run for press. I'll take a flyer and see if I can, you know. They see an opportunity yeah. in beating Trump. And, uh, honestly, this is, I mean, it's not controversial to say or anything. It just... It honestly could lead to Bernie being the nominee. Like, we were talking about this. Like, it's actually, it would not be that hard to take Bernie down. All right. All you have to do is find one candidate and unite behind that candidate. Mm -hmm. But they keep throwing more and more fucking people into the fire because they're all ego. It's, it's, it's like Obama saying today, like, what did he say about Biden? He, uh, he, he's, not, he's not resonating with voters. <laughs> like, like, like yeah. Joe Biden is running on... 
I'm Barack Obama's friend. And he's saying all this contradictory stuff. Obama is. One and Obama minute. is like, well, first off, he was said the thing, Joe, you don't have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> that was one thing. Then now he's like, he's now he's downright being antagonistic. I wonder what that means for Biden's campaign. I don't know. I mean, it could be that maybe Obama's going to endorse somebody else that's not Biden. Um, but... <clears throat> But I just don't understand, like, how's Joe going to play that down in the election, like, in the debates now? Like, he's running, he's running on, he's really running on curbing the repudiation of Obama's legacy. Yeah. That's his whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And, like, building on, like, Obamacare and all this stuff. And his guy, President, my guy, is saying, <laughs> you're fucking screwing the pooch, Joe. Like that? What's that doing for Joe? Like that's got to be well. It makes me devastating wonder, for Joe. What, like, are, what are Obama's? What is Obama's end game here? This is what I don't understand. Like, yeah, why the he, fuck is he even? You think he's throwing his weight, trying to like bolster like a Duval Patrick or could be somebody that's not like really in the race right now? Because yeah. it seems like Obama's not had anything but pejoratives to say about really everybody in the race, or he's just been mum about it. You right. know what I mean? He definitely hasn't put his finger on the scale of anyone in particular, but he has singled out Bernie and Warren. And Warren, yeah. Which is hilarious that, like... And it shows really how, like, like for somebody that, like, you know, that all that people talk about is how, like, he had these two great electoral victories. Like, how much his political acumen has just gone down the toilet for four <laughs> years since he's left office. Like He's completely he out of touch. can't see that, like, for their worldview, Warren is the person you should be throwing your like, no. weight behind. Seriously, if, if you're right, because she's the candidate who has all the radical rhetoric, and the only progressive one, rhetoric. And the only one that could chip away at Bernie's base. Right, exactly. Bit. But but won't do shit once she gets in But won't in do office. a fucking thing, yeah. It's horrible, <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not like, saying... No, so yes, so it is the Obama candidate right. that should be his hand-chosen yeah. But he's going to do some dumb shit like, uh, you know, support butt-chug or something. <laughs> he might. He might. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Who Who do you think Barack Obama just... Knowing what now, now knowing that the mask has slipped, and this guy is just like the water holder for this, like for all of his billionaire buddies, and like just this sort of like weirdly conservative. It's like this, like it's like the Dave Chappelle turn almost. You get older and rich, and you just like get more become conservative. more conservative, yeah. and all this stuff. Like it, like it's so funny that he is willing to mortgage the future of the entire base of the party. Most, like, because I would say most working people are Democrats. Yeah. Okay. Most, uh, you know, I mean, as much as we revile liberals, I think that uh, the majority of the working class would consider themselves liberal, for mostly for lack of a, a better framing, but right, right. would say that. And he's just pissing on their material concerns, basically just to shield his sort of genocidal foreign policy from scrutiny. Yeah. And you see that when, like, he's talking about, like, oh, well, we need to abandon our, like, moral high ground about, like, foreign policy, about, like, the drone program and all this stuff. Like, he's saying this stuff. Did you see that profile of him, like, what he said about ISIS? Oh, it was about this, the Joker? Yes. His analysis on ISIS is that they just want to watch the world burn. Like, he, he, and he quoted from Batman. <laughs> That's his analysis. So, like. He's just as fucking dumb as Trump is in a lot of ways. Just, I mean, you just wake up. It's so weird. 
so much of navigating the world is just thinking there's a, some other force at work smarter than me that's at the wheel, and this thing's more or less going to balance itself out. No. And there's nobody at the wheel. No, dude. It's like... It's, it's complete mediocrity. It's the like wheel. the Adam Curtis documentary you were watching last night, The Living Dead, where that guy is talking about waking up in a ditch and seeing dead bodies all around him and seeing people shredded on the battlefield of World War II, and, and he gives this speech. He's like, that's when I realized... The world was no longer governed by reason. It was no longer governed by rationality. I realized that I was in this and I had to find a way to survive or navigate it. Like, but, but basically, it was saying like my whole conception of the world was completely imploded. Yeah. Like there, are, there is nobody at the helm. There's nobody at the wheel. No. no. <laughs> there are, there, there, the closest thing is sort of a billionaire class with too much like time and money on their hands that are like building trinkets <laughs> that are ultimately going to be used to kill us. Like those little robot dogs that do the flips. <laughs> yeah, or and this fucking Tesla truck that looks like fucking... Or airplanes that self-sabotage. <laughs> self-sabotage. <laughs> It's all in the name of like all they they know that they ostensibly run the world because there's nobody at the wheel and they're using all their time just to like play games with innovation. Yes, that's exactly what it is. My god. Um all right, well so back to back to Bloomberg. Um there is something in there was an op-ed in Bloomberg that I thought was so weird. It was just so all over the place and weird that I thought we should probably cover it. It was called, Tax the Wealthy and Their Charities Will Suffer. Um, nonprofit organizations would probably get more donations but become less efficient. This is by Tyler Cohen. America's corporate economy has long been divided between a taxed for-profit sector and a non-taxed not-for-profit sector. This division has significant implications for tax policy. To wit, if the wealth gained from for-profits is penalized, the nonprofit sector will also suffer. Consider the wealth taxes that have been proposed by Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Even an apparently modest annual wealth tax of 2% could, applied cumulatively, erode most of the value of an asset over a few decades. Damn. In response, billionaires won't be so keen to hold their, those assets in their personal po portfolios, they may decide to place more of them in their personal foundations and in donor trusts. Um, if those institutions are taxed as well, billionaires can simply give more money to nonprofits. Either way, significantly more resources will end up in nonprofits. The size of the nonprofit sector will dramatically increase. So far, so good, right? Not necessarily. This is what I mean by, like, all over the place. <laughs> Many nonprofits are inefficient, have poorly defined goals, and lack accountability. That's true. Right, keep going. In this new world, they also would be spending more time and money chasing after donor dollars. Nonprofit institutions already receive significant subsidies through the tax system. Not only are donations tax deductible, but nonprofits do not typically pay tax on net income or property taxes. Applying confiscatory tax rates to capital asset values would make the value of that subsidy far greater. The effects of pushing wealth out of the for-profit sector would be far-ranging, though. Wealthy donors might be more likely to pressure nonprofits for luxury consumption experiences, for example. Many, basically, this amounts to like a woke opposition to a wealth tax. So bizarre. Many nonprofits sponsor cruises to Alaska or the Caribbean for their donors as a method of fundraising. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, but the pressures would rise for those cruise experiences to be more luxurious. 
think freshly caught sushi, Rolling Stones concerts, and private butlers. In essence, the nonprofits would be used to recreate private consumption experiences, but in non-taxable form. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, this thing is all over the fucking place. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, baby! That means I'm gonna be I'm gonna be treated to all these. Uh, yeah, you're gonna amenities. Be, <laughs> you're gonna get to sit front row. Yeah, row. I'm, he's making me vote for Bernie Sanders because I'm gonna sit front row at a private stone show. Which is even more fascinating that this is in Bloomberg, a guy who funds your job. It's true. It's true. I am on the Bloomberg dole. It's a, that's the thing we haven't dug into with Bloomberg, like how much money he gave, like the the war on coal stuff. If there's anybody who's single handedly responsible for ending coal, it's not Obama. It's Michael, Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> <clears throat> Just gave millions of dollars. Well, and he is running on that too. Yeah, he's like I took on coal. He's, yeah. he's not wrong about that. One response, of course, could be the government government to regulate nonprofit institutions more stringently. Maybe that would happen, but such regulation would inevitably become absurdly complex. Da -da 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 -da. Okay, here's, here's what I thought was really funny, though. Or imagine how art markets might be affected by a wealth tax. Rather than keeping their art collections private, many more billionaires would donate that art to museums and other nonprofits. This appears to be a good outcome, but it would exacerbate one of the art world's worst problems, which is inflated appraisals for tax purposes. <laughs> At any rate, America's museums do not have the space or resources to display and look at all of these paintings and sculptures. It is already common for a museum to display no more than 5% or 10% of its collection. <laughs> this, is, dude, this, is like, this is like weird word salad. It is totally all over He's the map. He's like writing like a guy that's trying to make like the word count for his term paper. <laughs> He just go on these weird diversions <laughs> where he's just like, oh, I can add 60 words by talking about the percent of works that right. are in museums. Yeah. I, uh, and also, like, I don't know. Essentially, a lot, of part would, a lot of art would be removed from circulation, stored in warehouses largely for tax reasons. Along the way, Christie's and Sotheby's might go bankrupt as well. <laughs> oh, that, that would be a tragedy. <laughs> You see a Sotheby's sign in every fucking bougie like house yard in Lexington. Yep, and it's like, oh yeah, that would that would be terrible. That'd be if, terrible. That'd be terrible if like we had to like take over those houses or something. Yeah, as well as many art galleries, as the demand to buy art would plummet. You may think that the demise of a few galleries and auction houses is a small price to pay to reduce wealth inequality. I do. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you something. <laughs> I would take a piss on fucking uh, Starry Night, the OG Starry Night, <laughs> if we could have communism. I would, I would shit on agree. every famous work of art that we've ever had. <laughs> if we could just have some fucking health care so I can make my prostate go down a little bit. But consider that artists, too, need to make a living. <laughs> artists like Caravaggio. They've been dead 400 yeah, fucking years. Yeah, yeah. Artists <laughs> artists like uh, Rembrandt's great, 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 whatever. Right. Yeah. Peter Bruegel, the elder. <laughs> Caravaggio. And all of this is considering only the wealth tax and its particularly striking effects. There are other tax law decisions that affect the nonprofit sector. If the U.S. restores the corporate income tax rate to what it was before 2018, for example, it could induce more hospitals to switch back to a nonprofit status to lower their tax burden. That might not be good for patients, since over time, for-profit hospitals have proved to be more effective competitors. 
Well, nonprofits do not. Let me, do. Let me just. Let me just. Let me tell you what my man's done here. One, he's casting a wide net. He's painting in broad strokes. But Very my man has. Strokes. My man has jumped from Bernie's wealth tax. Yep. To art collection. Uh huh. To what makes hospitals compete? <laughs> to I mean, he's going to have opinions about the fucking uh, bringing the Dodgers back to Brooklyn here in a second. It's just, I do like that. It's framing. like Tyler. Here's twenty five hundred words, man. Just do just something. Fucking with. Throw just do what you want. Paint at a yeah. canvas. Yeah. Uh, this like the framing of hospitals as they have to be competitive. Like that's the only way that they can. Uh, yeah. One 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 place that you shouldn't have competition. At. Well, there's a lot of places in my opinion you shouldn't have competition. At. One is fucking hospital. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and and this is it. This is the last paragraph. It comes. It was a very short piece. The U.S. has created the most dynamic and effective nonprofit sector in the world. It rests on a delicate balance of private support and some indirect, not too much government subsidy. America interferes with that balance at its peril. <laughs> you know, here's here's. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're messing with forces we don't understand when we're <laughs> rocking the boats of the NGOs. <laughs> we're gonna disturb the when we're, uh, delicate balance. Man, uh, watch a little bit of ways of seeing last night and talking about that. And I, maybe we, this would be good when to have Kate Wagner back on when she gets back from her, her honeymoon or whatever. But I wonder what. I'd like to talk about art under communism and what that would look like. Yeah. And because like for so long, even like in, in Europe, like all the painters and artists were like patrons of the ultra wealthy. Like, yeah. how, how, like I'd like to talk about conceptions of that. Right. Yeah. Artists got to make a living. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I've got to say is this came out on the same week that this website Sludge, who our buddy Brendan O'Connor has written for before, published this incredible fucking investigation. Nation's biggest charity is funding influential white nationalist group. A charitable nonprofit linked to Fidelity Investments has donated at least $100,000 to the New Century Foundation, the organization behind white nationalist publication American Renaissance since mid-2015. So it's like, tax nonprofits out of existence? Sounds dope, man. <laughs> like, well, the, well, I mean, like the concept of nonprofits and NGOs is to, like, theoretically alleviate suffering in the world and like whatever. It's like if we, if we didn't have to do that because there was plenty, yeah. to go around, like there wouldn't be a purpose for that. Like, and and that should be. I mean, even if like you're working for a nonprofit under the the you know, um, sort of thought that you're doing some real good in the world or whatever. Like, ideally, you should want to end suffering the, the way to really live in a world it. that doesn't need nonprofits. Right, right, exactly. Like, put you like you know, like the, the old line when I first started like working for nonprofits was, "You want to like organize your way out of a job." <laughs> Like eliminate the need for your like your job, you know what I mean? Which is hilarious because that would literally never happen. No, well, I mean, I saw so like there's like you. It's just such a weird thing to do to like 
bring somebody in to like make them a worker and then be like, what you want to do is do such a good job that you don't need your job anymore. Yeah. It's such a weird framing anyway. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. That's the twisted ideology though that you find in nonprofits. Right. The self-loathing, self-flagellating ideology you find in nonprofits. Right. Yeah. But this is the But the thing. way to expedite that process is to eliminate billionaires. Yes. And millionaires. Exactly. And even like a hundred thousandaires. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. Like nonprofits the nonprofit sector is so well funded and um robust now because there's been so much goddamn wealth that's been created in the last thirty or forty years, just an astronomical amount. Right. And it's coincided with the neutralization of the government from doing anything. Right. But regulating markets. So I feel like 100 years ago, the government kind of existed to manage the contradictions of capitalism. Now, it's all been just sort of privatized into the nonprofit sector. Well, I mean, when you think about like the Clinton Foundation in particular being the arch example of like being the water holders for the ineptitudes of government. It's like <laughs> they exist to facilitate like getting... Uh, HIV AIDS drugs into places yeah, you know yeah, what I mean yeah. like they're doing like work for big pharma essentially mm-hmm. like as a conduit but under the like pretense of like we're eliminating suffering in the world and that might you know theoretically be true but the Haitian government's like in hock tea and all this kind of stuff you yeah, know it's yeah. like you've just done all kinds of horrible shit down there yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> forgive me if I'm just like should, if I think we should eliminate the profit motive from suffer, uh, the alleviation of suffering. Right. Well, um, Tyler Cohen, my man. Uh, well done, Tyler. I wish I want to write like I want to write. I, I want to just be like. <laughs> Yeah, he he kind of writes like Joe Biden talks during the debates. Well, he, honestly, he's kind of a distillation of Bloomberg's personal opinions and like just this incoherence. You know what I mean? Like. And literally early in the in the early in the essay, he says nonprofits are vaguely defined and inefficient. And at the very end, he's like, "We defund them and at our own peril." Our own peril. <laughs> That's like it's like, well, which is it? You know what I mean? You know what I, mean? I mean, dude, <laughs> completely incredible. Oh shit! Well, to put a bow on this one, I wanted to talk about Trump. Uh, Nodding John Voight <laughs> and talking about what um, deliverance the you know the, what did he say about deliverance? I want to bring the video up right now. So I watched the Vic Ber- Burger video and I don't know if it was edited in this way or what, but I don't, regardless, the video brought out the truly absurdity, like the true absurdity of this of this event, <laughs> like how quiet it was. Like, John Voight got up and danced at one point. Did you see that? <laughs> no, no, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, John Voight danced. I don't know what song that they played. In the Vic Burger video, it was like a 80s B-movie song, but... Uh, oh, was it like a like a song from Deliverance, maybe? Oh, he might have. He might have played <laughs> Dueling Banjos. artists, musicians, and scholars who make our world a more beautiful, enlightened, and joyful place... Each of today's recipients has made outstanding contributions to American society, culture. Alison Krauss got in on this. I saw that. By the genius, talent, and creativity of our exceptional nation. (laughs) Oh, yeah, this is from Deliverance. Is that when he's dancing? Yeah. 
He wants to be Christopher Walken. He's trying to dance like him in that video. No one's fucking. No one's walking. For making extraordinary contributions to American music. You ever notice Trump's always doing this? Like when he, like when they ask somebody to step up, he's always like stepping in front of them and trying to like. <laughs> yes. The souls of millions. Is Allison Krauss a conservative too? I like the album she did with Robert Plant. Yeah, I like I like Allison Krauss. I mean, I don't I don't like her. I like that album. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I should say that. <laughs> I uh, mean, I'm not really into bluegrass. I think that shit's kind of lame. But you don't like that foo foo lame shit. <laughs> no, dude, bluegrass sucks. Oh man. Whoa. <laughs> I fucking hate co signing that. I hate it, dude. Um Yeah, what so he got a medal for his acting. I was trying to find the clip where he was said that deliverance moved him to tears. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't find it, but if somebody can find footage of Trump Squeal saying like to John Boyd Squeal, Squeal like a little piggy. I like that. I like the scene. You know the scene, you, folks. We all know, know the, the scene. We all know the scene, folks. It's lodged in our nightmares. <laughs> we, have, we we all know it. But the squeal like a piggy scene, it reveals a greater truth <laughs> about the human condition. <laughs> the One duality that, frankly, of man. many are saying that we're better for. <laughs> and then there's the boy with the banjo, the thing. And he does the thing, you know. It's, uh, yeah. it's beautiful art. Beautiful movie, folks. And if you tax the nonprofits, art like this. We'll go away. We'll go away. No more deliverance, folks. <laughs> Sorry, nothing you <laughs> no. can do about it. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, uh, let's put a bow on that. That's, uh, that's a good episode for the week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, enjoy flying now with all that new flight information. All that knowledge you have that uh, uh-huh. there's a very Look. thin margin of error between you and... If you have a fear of flying, here's what I say. Um, just do the scientific thing where you learn as much about every airplane as possible so that you can be that one nerd who enters a plane and is like, oh, this must be a 387 uh, jetliner or something like that. And then they calmly <laughs> escort you off the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly so, if you've sir. got a seat in the emergency <laughs> row. Sir, so you you cannot know the make and model of this plane. Clearly, you're trying to take it down. You know when, like, when you get on a plane and like you like you like they explain to you the importance of sitting in the emergency exit row uh-huh. just so you can have the leg room. Uh-huh. I wonder if anybody's done that and be like, oh no, yeah, I'm willing to help in the case of emergency, and, and then, then just <laughs> totally freaked out and saved themselves. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe I'll do it. I think I'm in sitting in the emergency row. Just spring for the extra leg room. Yep. Except I'm just not going to do it for um, sociological reasons. Look, I'm not opening this fucking door until you tell me who you're voting for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, happy Thanksgiving. Go to the Patreon. We need your support. We need your support. Yeah, we need your hard-earned dollars. Uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Drill Billy Workers Party. Um Five dollars a month will get you an extra one of these. An extra one of these every week. 
Um, so go do that. Um, I've heard the content over there is hot. A lot of people, a lot of many are saying it's good. <laughs> um, so. All right. Um, well, happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next time.